All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Real Live Talk. I'm really excited that you guys are here to check out this conversation. Uh, you guys are amazing. If no one else has told you you're amazing today, I'm telling you right now, you're amazing. Thanks so much for being here. Um, so I'm so excited about today's episode. I kind of don't know what to do with myself. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. I usually say if the content blesses you, I'm not even going to say that today. I'm going to say when the content of today's episode blesses you and uh, brings some transformation to maybe the way that you you think or see things. Um, if you would consider um, liking the Facebook page, there's a brand new Facebook page um, real live for real live talk. It's facebook.com slash real live talk podcast. Um, if you want to like or follow the Facebook page, that way you'll get notified of uh, future live events and stuff like that. If you happen to be catching this on one of the podcast platforms later on, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, um, if you would consider subscribing, sharing, or leaving a review, that will just help to make sure that we continue to get this content in front of more and more people. So uh, I just want to tell you how excited I am for today's conversation uh, with my special guest, Britt Eaton. So Britt is a content strategist, writer, speaker, and all-around pursuer of the kingdom of God. She's an advocate for non-traditional recovery and for women in ministry, and through her spirit-filled ministry, seeks to bring unity to the body of Christ. She has very recently released a book with George A. Wood called The Uncovery, Understanding the Power of Community to Heal Trauma. Uh, I'm so excited about this book. It's aimed at helping those struggling with addiction, mental health issues, um, and suicidal thoughts going beyond traditional recovery methods to promote a whole life transformation based on loving people as Jesus did. Um, so this book is so full of identity and grace that I think every person on the planet honestly should read it. Um, it will not only help you uh, see yourself beyond your own brokenness, but also give you a really beautiful Christ-like perspective for walking with people through struggles and uh, truly, truly believe that this book is a game changer for the church and a uh, gift to the world. So um, I'm going to go ahead and bring Britt up on the screen. I don't know, as I think about it, Britt, I'm not sure if you could um, hear me or not as I was going through what I just went through. You could? Okay, awesome. I thought I did it wrong. <laughs> so anyway, uh, my, my friends, please join me in welcoming Britt Eaton to the podcast. Britt, I'm really grateful to, uh, to know you and really grateful to be a part of this conversation. So thanks so much for being here. It is an honor to be with you, dude. Thank you so much for all of your support and for your friendship in this process man writing a book putting new thoughts out into the world is such a humbling experience but it's really mm. good to be able to connect with like-minded spirit-filled people who are ready to have some of these tough conversations especially when it comes to tough topics like recovery so i'm so thankful yeah. to you for you know not only wanting to engage in this conversation with me but for bringing it to your people because recovery is for everyone as we're going to find out in this conversation mm -hmm. man it's real <laughs> absolutely no, I'm so I'm so excited. I was uh, so blessed to be able to receive a, a copy of the book and to get into it. And man, I think I was telling you, I, I hit page one and I was like, light bulbs were already going off. And uh, and I really think that it's a game changer. And just on a personal note, it's been really, really cool just to recently connect with you. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of felt like to me, like right right from the beginning without, you know, knowing you for very long at all. I just feel like your family. I want to call you like mm -hmm. sis or something like that. It's just really, really cool. So 
<laughs> yeah, so, God decided like, that. He decided that a long time ago we were going to be brother and sister. But yeah, He's so good to give us people of peace. Whew, I'm so thankful. Yeah. It's so it's so good to know you as well. And I'm loving your podcast. I'm loving watching your ministry grow and transition and change. It's just so cool. It's so cool how God can be calling us in two completely different directions, and you can still see mm. His hands in everything. It's just yes. it really, really gives me hope and it gives me peace for those days where you're kind of like does any of this even matter am, am i am i literally <laughs> preaching to myself right now <laughs> yes yes oh yeah okay. i have plenty of those <laughs> plenty of those yeah. days <laughs> yeah uh well thank yeah thanks again and uh and that's so true um are you are you uh streaming live from the log cabin today I am not in the log cabin today. I'm actually on site okay. uh, at a client's office. I'm literally like in a backroom closet. <laughs> so it can be nice and quiet for us. How random is that? But we need to do another live stream someday from my cabin. We'll have like pretty walls and things. But today you just get my face. All right. All right. Good deal. Good deal. Well, let's jump into some stuff, Britt. Um, and, and if you would just kind of um, in your own words as we as we jump off and, and we may get into some, I don't know exactly where this conversation is going to go today, but I, mm -hmm. but I do want to. Um, I think we're going to be hovering around the the book for at least the majority of it. And I, I would love it if you could um, just kind of share in your own words and from your own heart what the overall message of this book is and kind of the vision and and the goal behind this uh, this writing. Sure, sure. So the ultimate truth that comes out of this book, uh, the title of the book is The Uncovery, which is unpacking the power of community in order to heal trauma. Uh, my co-author and I, George, when we met and we came together with this message that we really believe is from God, we want to find ways to help the world and especially the church begin to look at the concept of recovery differently. And here's why. So in the United States, for about the last hundred years, we've been doing recovery programming. The first one that was ever launched was AA. That was back in the early 1930s. It's been about a hundred years. I'm going to be straight up with you, Duke. Very little has actually changed. <laughs> Culture has changed a lot. People have changed a lot. But in that 100 years, we've been doing the same 12 steps. We've been doing the same types of rehab programs. We've been doing the same sort of, you know, higher power level teaching. And the difficult pieces that come with traditional recovery in a modern day world is that it's just not working anymore. Um, we're looking at traditional recovery program rates. Um, about 80% of people who are going through traditional programming fail out within the first year. And that's a difficult thing to say because in my heart, like no one ever really failing on a recovery journey, but um, the metrics that we look at, eight out of 10 people will have a severe relapse and likely in um, 50 percent of those people will be likely to quit recovery altogether within the first mm. year now wow. i spent 20 years of my life in the corporate world in, as a business strategist as a writer as a an, an engagement person and i'm telling you right now if i ever came back and had to tell my superiors that i was having an 80 percent failure rate with the things i was putting out there <laughs> right. i'd have been fired <laughs> like that's just not a thing and so when George and I connected, we actually connected during the middle of the pandemic. It was the first time we met and the first time we started having some of these conversations because you know what? The world went through some very serious trauma and some of those surface level mm. struggles, things like addiction, struggles with our mental health, even thoughts about suicide. They were running rampant and people wanted to talk about them for the first time. Mm. And during that time, while we were all stuck at home <laughs> doing church through Zoom and all of these kinds of things, the church was kind of silent about it. 
we were praying people cared but the traditional recovery programming that we've you know called our tried and true time tested programs they just weren't working in the same kind of way anymore and they weren't working in an mm. online environment so the root cause underneath any sort of surface level struggle with something like a, an addiction to anything whether that be to a substance or a, a compulsive behavior of some type or if you're struggling with your mental health if it's not like a, yeah. a, a something you're born with neurologically if it's something that you're really struggling with anxiety or you're struggling with depression or anger these things are all a result of trauma. And whether we're looking at addiction or mental health, no matter what it is that's bringing you to the end of yourself, trauma is that underlying piece. And so when I met George, we were actually, he was speaking on a panel that I was moderating and we were talking about mental health in the church and why for some reason, the church has not been a terribly safe space to talk about mental health. Because especially from a leadership yeah. perspective, and I've been in plenty of leadership positions in churches everywhere, it is actually very rarely okay to not be okay, especially in positions of leadership. But even for those of us who call ourselves Christian, the temptation to assimilate, to look good on the surface, and to not be honest about where we really are, it's huge. It's huge. And I believe this opportunity with the uncovery, we really want to help the church begin to see recovery differently because honestly, the world is kind of already starting to do it. I don't know if you did any like Netflix streaming or Hulu streaming during the middle of the pandemic. We ended up doing a lot. We watched like all the Marvel movies. It was great. But in the middle of these commercial breaks, there would be these mental health organizations that were coming on and saying, are you struggling right now? It's okay. We're mm. here for you. The church was not responding in this kind of way. And even if you could still log on to do some sort of worship with your community online, the isolation we all felt and the misunderstanding we all felt, that pain that was rising up from the trauma of the isolation, it was being answered by the outside world. Now, the natural correlation, the interesting piece in all of this is the church was already on a little bit of a decline generationally before the pandemic hit. We all kind of saw it happening. We knew, you know, generation Y and below, less and less of us consider ourselves church affiliated. And even those of us who do, mm -hmm. that means different things. It's not like in the 1950s where everybody and their mother goes to church. It's just what you do right. culturally. Right. Um, the interesting piece about the mass exodus that's been happening, and this was pre-pandemic, is that people are not necessarily giving up on their faith. They're not even giving up on Jesus. They're giving up on organized religion they're giving up on you know this thing that seems so important for a long time but they weren't actually encountering the real jesus in their communities mm, they were checking boxes yeah. they were showing up and honestly in many cases in a very lockstep and legalistic way the church discipling programs mentoring programs leadership programs very, very much mirror some of our old time-tested recovery programming, which without the right Holy Spirit elements can feel very locked up and very legalistic. Mm. And there's okay. zero room for failure. So pandemic hits, we're all isolated, we're all at home. And then we start opening doors again. We're able to gather again. We're able to worship again. And you know what? People come back and they say to themselves, I'm not sure I actually missed this. I'm not sure I missed it. I really want the person of Jesus, hmm. but I don't want a fake version of him. I don't want a version of him where I can't come as I am. I don't want to any longer attend a church that is 
more of a country club for saints instead of a hospital for sinners. I need real help. I need real engagement and I need the real Jesus. Yes. So the, the goal with the uncovery is to help the church not look at and label people as alcoholic, as schizophrenic, as, you know, depressed, anxious, suicidal. We're stripping away these labels, getting down beneath the surface to that root trauma that happened that caused these surface level struggles in the first place. And then as a body, figuring out what does it look like to create a safe space as the church where people can be seen and heard and loved and understood on day one, a place where they can belong before they even behave like we tell them they should, a place where they're not expected to come and assimilate and start wearing like button up shirts and khaki pants and wh whatever that, that thing is that we think a Christian yeah, should image, be. Yeah. What could we do to create a space where people come and their only label, the only label that they have to carry is beloved child of God? And let the healing flow from that place. Mm. This vulnerable kind of space, this space where we can actually share what's on our mind, where we can be free to admit when we're struggling, these safe spaces are sadly very hard to find in Christendom because yeah. the structures that we have set up from a leadership standpoint all of these years, this is why even you saw it during the pandemic and you've seen this continuation of even our leaders are falling. Even our leaders cannot hold up to the standards they have helped build around themselves. So we really need to go deeper, understand that if the neurological premise um, for or struggling with a, a pornography addiction is actually exactly the same as the neurological premise mm. for sugar addiction or for something like anxiety being triggered. If we yeah. understand some of the neuro neurological pieces of this and go deep into the neuroscience, which we've done in the book, we will start to understand as the body that there is no other. Recovery isn't for those people. It isn't for, right. you know, the AA folks on Friday night in the church parlor, but we don't do that on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Recovery mm -hmm. is for everyone. All of yeah. us. I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us, if we were honest mm -hmm. with ourselves after what we've been through the last couple of years, not just with the pandemic, but with just complete social division, political upheaval, we are all at a place where we have probably said out loud, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time with this. I'm not okay. This means, and it leads us to understand that we're all struggling with something. We all are. And so our goal with the uncovery, we've even done the tweak on the word. We're not calling it recovery. Mm. We're calling it the uncovery because we want to encourage people to go deeper, to understand what's individual trauma, what's shared trauma, and how does trauma impact us? Actually going deep and understanding why do some people end up addicted while others do not, even having similar yeah. shared experiences. The concept of trauma-informed ministry and trauma-informed care when we're looking at bridging the gap between spiritual communities and scientific communities guys we don't have to be enemies <laughs> we really don't Come like on. nobody's even Come we on. don't even need to talk about like was the world created in six literal days or not like that that's not even important in the context of this conversation in this conversation what if the church could say do you know what it really is okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. It really is okay to love Jesus, be a blood-bought, battle-fought believer, but still struggle with an addiction. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. And it's also, yeah. and this may be the most important thing for the church to hear, we need to understand God does 
and will continue to heal. He's Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. He heals instantaneously sometimes, just miraculously. I've seen it. I have personally experienced it. But so often, Duke, he values the journey just as much as the initial deliverance. Just like that moment of salvation when you accept Jesus into your heart, there are so many correlations to that first day of sobriety, that first day of choosing a new way to think and behave and do life. It's a lifelong journey. And so if God does not choose to heal instantaneously and miraculously as he does sometimes, what does it look like to walk out a recovery journey for years at a time? If you look at actual statistics, um, uh, the Center for Disease Control shows that within a recovery program for an individual, it takes about three years for the brain's uh, neural pathways to rewire out of an addictive pattern or behavior, especially when there's a substance involved. Three years. And so we're looking at our traditional programs right now. And please don't hear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. (laughs) I love AA. I love rehab. I love counseling. I love all of this. Please don't stop. Don't stop. But when we understand on average, it will take three years. It might not take that long or it might take a lot longer for an individual Mm -hmm. to get to a place of healing and wholeness where they can actually begin to build a life that they want to live, that they want to stay sober for, that's going to take some real time. So for us as individuals, as believers who have been given the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, we should be moved with compassion for these people. But oftentimes when we view them as the other, when we keep them at a distance or even worse, when we keep them anonymous, we don't care as much. They become a number. And so the differences with the uncovery is when you're doing recovery in the context of authentic community, there is no anonymity. You're seen and you're known and you're loved, (laughs) period. (laughs) And then beyond that, once you're seen, known, and fully loved, just like God loves you, you now have a safe space where you can heal in the context of community for as long as it takes. It's no longer like I, Brit, am responsible for Duke's recovery because I'm the only person that knows what's happening. So if he goes off the rails, it's my fault. Let me tell y'all, no one person can ever be responsible for another person's recovery journey. It's just completely unrealistic. I have tried it. I have failed. It does not work (laughs) because none of us, even if we are a sponsor or an accountability partner, none of us can be available to people 24 seven. It's just not possible. But in the context of authentic Christ-centered community, we can be there. 24 seven, we can be there and avoid things like the very real compassion fatigue that comes from loving and leading people through recovery while we're probably Mm. managing our own as well. So it's a huge opportunity for the church to step up, to be the bride of Christ, a real safe place with her lamp lit, not only ready for Jesus to come back and save us and take us all to heaven for crying out loud, but what if we bring heaven to earth now? Mm -hmm. What if we actually assumed our role as Jesus was skin on and learned what it looked like to love people in recovery in the gentle way of Jesus. So I'm preaching at you at this point. I've been talking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to take a breath Ooh, and I'm going to take a drink. <laughs> to, uh, to give everyone a chance to, to get their offerings in. No, yes. Um, yes. No, it's so good. It was, it was so good. No, like there's so, there's so much there and I'm going to do my best to, uh, you know, kind of circle back to some things and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But um, you know, you were you were talking about the the stigma that we so often carry. I think every I think it's 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 in existence in the world. I think it's amplified in in the church, and so this the this 
there's certain things that are stigmatized. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't, like, like in the church, we wouldn't say much about somebody who you mentioned a sugar addiction. Like we wouldn't say much about that. We, mm -hmm. we wouldn't, we wouldn't say much. We would just say, okay, like maybe somebody, um, you know, they end up with some health issues, they get on medication and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like, it's almost like acceptable. And we don't really say much about that, you know, so yeah. the we could be condemning somebody because they're struggling with a porn addiction or because they're mm -hmm. struggling with smoking or because they're struggling with some kind of a drug addiction or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. uh, or something that's just kind of it's it's manifesting itself in a way that we would traditionally say like, oh, well, that person has to be on discipline or that person whatever meanwhile we might be struggling with like you know we're you know 200 pounds overweight and you know eating ourselves into an early grave kind of a thing and we don't mm -hmm. see that as a problem you know we mm -hmm. don't see that as a challenge we see it as something that's totally different mm -hmm. and when you were talking there about the different the underlying causes that lead to addiction and mental mental health struggles and suicidal thinking and and ideation and things like that it's like these underlying causes that so often we don't we don't that don't get dealt with in traditional recovery systems because we're dealing with sobriety or we're dealing with getting past the thing that's causing the immediate struggle right now and as you said i think that there's definitely value there and there's definitely mm -hmm. a place for that but something that struck me so hard when i started reading the book it was um like right in chapter one first page and it was like uh you know so often the the the, the best that we're offering people is is enough to get them back to their broken lifestyle that they had before the addiction started. And then so where does that traditionally leave people? It traditionally leaves people with the same underlying causes because we haven't even touched them. So essentially we're leaving this person open to, you know, what, what so often happens is we don't deal with the root. We just kind of clip the branches. We cut the, some of the leaves mm -hmm. away and we get some of the nasty looking fruit out of the way. But the root of the problem is still there. And so inevitably, you know, when that person gets back into some kind of an overwhelmed pressure kind of a situation, then we see that the, you know, it springs up again. It might not even be in the same way, but it might be in some other way. So you might start to see those those same kinds of uh, struggles and results happen because we haven't dealt with the underlying root causes. And so I love, I, I, I feel like this is, this is something that here's what, here's what I feel like, Brett. I feel like there's, there were so many times reading, reading this book where light bulbs were going off and I was just thinking about how it's like, you guys are putting language to things I think that, you know, I've kind of thought about for a long time that I think a lot of people have probably thought about, especially in the church for a long time, but like didn't know how to articulate this stuff in terms of a practical solution for how do we actually implement this and help people have a better recovery uh, journey where they're actually moving to, to freedom. And, you know, there are times, as you said, where where God just supernaturally, you know, breaks in and sets somebody free from something in a moment. But Britt, what, what do we do? What should our response be as the, as the church, as the people of God, the, you know, capital C church, and then as mm -hmm. individual Christ followers, how, how should our, what should our response be? Do you think when we're walking through life with somebody who maybe doesn't have a, you know, pretty, recovery journey where maybe there are some it's it's longer term and maybe there's some relapses and there's challenges and struggles and stuff like that 
where, you know, in, in this particular situation, it wasn't a, a transformational day to uh, night to day kind of a thing, but they're on a journey, trusting God, believing, you know, God walking with Jesus and walking through a process of healing and recovery and transformation. So just like, how do you think that our response as the church should be to walking through life and walking through, um, walking with people through those kinds of struggles and things that might not be so pretty as we would maybe like them to be? Yeah, well, I think the thing that is really difficult in the westernized American church is the individualistic culture that we live in. Mm. Even when we show up, and this is this is heavy handed, so just, just saddle up, y'all, saddle up. Even when we make a decision to say, okay, this person's hurting, God's broken my heart for them, I'm going to walk with them, I'm going to help them stay clean, I'm going to help them rebuild their life, we really do it to build ourselves up, if we're honest. Mm, we get down okay. somewhere deep and there's a pride, a, a collective pride issue that we carry as individualized members of the church. The mm. church corporately, as the body of Christ, as his hands and feet in this realm, I believe we are called to do what scripture tells us to, which is bear one another's burdens together. Mm. And I don't mean show up and carry something that's not yours to carry. I'm not talking about enabling people. I'm not talking about you know living light, a boundaryless life. Certainly not. Yes, right. There are going to be some instances as you're loving and leading people through recovery where it is not going to pan out like you want. And you are going to have to have some at least temporary distance and separation, not spiritually, but sometimes physically continuing to walk with someone when the behavior is completely out of control is not possible for a myriad of reasons. Case in point, my co-author, George A. Wood, lives in inner city Tampa. He and his wife, Julie, live there, and they run a, a ministry called the Timothy Initiative, where they live with 30 men who are in recovery from something. And it's not a 30-day program or a six-month detox. No, they come and they live together in community. Now- for me, in this season of my life with my 12-year-old daughter and the life that we've built up here in Ohio, I'm not going to go start a ministry where 30 men move in with me who are recovering from hardcore drugs or from, you know, with like a criminal background. Like that, that's not going to be my call. That's not God's call in my life. But we as the body, people like me who can help communicate, teach. And I have my own areas. I've walked my own recovery journey. I'm still walking it. And I'm actively loving and leading many other people through theirs. But understanding as the body, no one of us, it's not individualistic. We're not supposed to show up with a Messiah complex and think that we're going to save people. Mm, but the interesting yeah. thing about all this is when we show up with that Messiah complex, or even as a small group saying like, oh, aren't we so great? We're doing all of these things. And, you know, we see it all the time when we travel and we go and teach at churches about recovery and you, they'll, they'll be really quick to stand up and be like, oh, we, we saw three resurrections from the dead last year, but they still have people in their congregation who are so you know, strung out or, you know, completely depressed or so anxious they can't even move. We are looking right. at it and saying, what's the responsibility of the body to carry one another's burdens together? Not just one-on-one. -on -one. What can we do to walk with one another, not for 12 steps, not for 30 days or a six-month journey, not even for that three years on average. Not, I'm not talking about putting parameters around it. How about 
as a body, we commit to walking with people, to loving them like Jesus would if he were standing with us right now. And in some ways he is, because y'all know, Holy Spirit's living in us. What would it take to walk with them as long as it takes? Yeah. Because you have some people in a recovery context who they go through AA, they get sober, and they're sober for 20 years, and they're miserable. Absolutely miserable because they don't want to live the life that they're now sober and having to endure. Imagine if in the context of Christ-centered, authentic community, we helped people build a community and build a lifestyle that it's a really about building a recovery culture within your organization. And your organization is not going to look like anybody else's. My recovery organizations look nothing like George's down in Tampa, nor would mine look anything like yours, Duke. We are all responsible from a recovery context and with just as much discernment that is as is humanly possible and supernaturally possible even. We need to be asking God, what is working in our recovery Mm -hmm. contexts? Let's keep doing that. What is not working anymore? And let's stop doing that. Whatever that is. If it's not working, we need to stop. And then finally, asking earnestly, Father, what more would you have us do? Yeah. Not only me, what would you have me do, but what would you have us do? What are the opportunities that exist that we haven't yet tapped into? But to get to this place, to honestly have your heart broken for people who are struggling, Mm. you have to at some level acknowledge that you may be struggling on your own with something anything. What is it? Is it your anger? Is it even a lack of compassion? How about that? (laughs) We all struggle with something and being able to step out and admit it. Yeah. It opens up a world where people can share openly free of shame. And and again, no, 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 sorry. I, I I just, you know, I I think that so often we'll put hierarchies on, on things like that. We'll put hierarchies on, you know, we won't recognize, we won't, we won't want to stand with somebody because of the stigma that might be attached to it because of like, you know, how bad it is in our eyes. And then we don't even recognize that the, 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 the disgustingness of, of the, the, the condemnation that I'm feeling, you know what I mean? Like that Mm -hmm. stuff that's inside of me, that, that lack of compassion, that lack of love, that lack of desire to, to serve and to be uh, the, the hands and the feet of Jesus here on, on the earth and to represent him well, that that thing that's inside of me, that is, you know, just so anti Christ that, you know, I, I don't, I don't recognize how, how bad that is. And I, and I I just wanted to say, you know, I, I think there's been, been, well, for sure, there's been times um, in my life where I've been guilty of, you know, making some kind of a commitment, whether it was a verbal commitment or just something that I kind of did with my within myself to walk with somebody, you know, through something difficult that they were going through to kind of get on the other side of that and then to discover that it was actually a lot uglier than I realized it was at the beginning. And I and I've I'm I'm pretty sure I'm I mean I'm not thinking of specific examples, but I'm I'm sure that I've been guilty in the past of of abandoning somebody or or kind of pulling back or taking my hands uh you know away or just stepping back or finding ways to protect myself or whatever when uh just because of the the I didn't understand from the beginning the level of what somebody was dealing with and mm-hmm. then feeling like oh like I don't know if I can handle this. 
And then there, there's also been times where I feel like this happens a lot. I think this probably happens to everybody and maybe we don't recognize it where we do kind of make some kind of a commitment that we're going to walk with somebody through something challenging that we're going through. And then we start to the, the layers start to get unpeeled and, and the veil comes back and we start to recognize, wow, there's more going on here than I realized. We, we might even start to say, you know, this this person has, you know, made some worse decisions than I thought they did. And, you know, this person's judgment is a lot more skewed than I thought it was. And then so we can start to to make excuses and say, like, oh, well, I can't, you know, I, I can't do that and and kind of blame the person or whatever. But but I feel like there's 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 been so many times in my life where that's happened and it's been and, and I feel like God is involved in that process, like like, hey, how far are you willing to go? Kind of asking that question, like, how far are you willing to go? Are you really committed to loving people like I love them? Or are you committed to loving people who look enough like you where you're willing to stand with them, uh, but you're not willing to recognize what, you know, how far, you're not, you're not willing to go beyond your comfort zone. And that's what love does. That's what compassion does every single time. We see in Philippians chapter two, how the mind of Christ is to esteem others better than oneself. And, you know, so often I think like, yeah, I'll do that as long as it's safe and comfortable for me. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, um, I don't remember why, where I was going with all that, but, <laughs> but I just, yeah, it yeah. is so huge. So there's this, there's this new thing that's emerged um, in conversations kind of more loudly since the pandemic where people are talking about this buzzword and that buzzword is compassion fatigue and compassion fatigue is a very real thing. And when God does break your heart for what breaks his, like He'll t if you ask that prayer, if you pray that prayer, he will take you at your word and you really will break your heart for people. You really will be moved with <laughs> compassion to help people. And sometimes if you're in experience, you'll jump in the deep end and realize you don't know how to swim. <laughs> and that's okay. That's very real. And sometimes we will overstep. We'll say, I want to help you with this. And then realize 15 minutes into it, actually, I don't know if I know how to help you with this. That's okay. Right. <laughs> that right. is okay. Right. But that does mean that the context of your relationship has to be over. Right. You can still walk with someone and not be the solution to their problem. You can still be a safe space for someone, mm -hmm. even if they pour their heart out to you and all you have to say in response is, I'm so sorry, that must be so yeah. hard. Is there anything I can do? So in this context, this idea of compassion fatigue, it can be very real, especially for people who are newly stepping in and saying, God, this is on my heart. I know you're moving me into this. I know that you're moving to me to love and lead people in recovery, maybe even work on myself in different kinds of ways. Thank you for that. I'm going to embrace it. There's another side of it, though. And like we just talked about with this Western Americanized individualistic idea of how we do mm -hmm. church, compassion fatigue is not something that comes when you get irritated because somebody didn't behave like you wanted them to. Compassion fatigue does not come when you are merely inconvenienced by someone's relapse. This is not compassion fatigue, folks. This is just life. It's a lack of an ability to do conflict management. It's a lack of realistic expectations right. of people who are in recovery. Right. If, if there's any conflict anywhere, it's because of unmet or unarticulated expectations. That's it. That's it. And so... Mm -hmm. In the context of healthy community, if we can clearly establish guidelines, if we, not to say behave this way perfectly or you're out, like a lot of traditional recovery programming does, instead saying 
these are our guidelines. We're going to partner with you to help you walk this out. Are they going to do that perfectly? Of course they're not. Yeah. Of course they're going to relapse. Of course there are going to be issues. Of, even if they get sober and that stay that way, like God willing, they are going to struggle. Because once you get, get sober or once you even try to step out of an old way of thinking, you have likely decades of learned behavior to unlearn. You are going to struggle. You're going to struggle in your communities. You're going to struggle in your relationships. You're going to struggle personally, professionally, in every area of life. Well, wow. And so this context of authentic recovery community that we really want to build, building that recovery culture, it says this isn't just about coming to a meeting on Thursdays. This isn't just about seeing your counselor twice a month. You cannot walk out your recovery in your counselor's office. You cannot walk out your recovery anonymously in the church parlor. You can't do it. You right. need people and you need more than one person. And if we understand the beauty of that community, no one individual has to be responsible for anybody else. So we don't feel exhausted. We don't feel that compassion fatigue. Instead, we look at it and we just say, yeah, God, you're moving. Not, not as fast as I would like, but you are moving. And wherever we are in this wilderness journey, we're going to trust you. We're going to keep moving forward and not leaving someone, not forsaking them, not writing them off because they don't walk out that recovery perfectly or like you think they should. It takes that level of humility to step in and yeah. really yeah. love people. Jesus was never about behavior modification. When he had these transformative encounters with people, he was never like, okay, you really need to clean up your life. Here are the six things I want you to fix. Pray the sinner's prayer to me right now, and then everything will be okay. And by the way, don't ever mess up again. So why would we do that? Why would we assume that that's our role? And I think the sad answer to that is, as a church, as a body, as leaders, we're afraid of having any wiggle room for people to mess up. We need them to walk it out perfectly because if they don't, we think that somehow our own salvation is on the line. As leaders, we're held to a, a higher judgment standard. We know this, so the word says it. So there's so much fear about yeah. our grace being too greasy. Oh, for crying out loud. Have you looked at God's grace? It is so hmm. reckless. It is so ridiculous. Come on. None of us deserve it. And back to that, that initial thing that you that led us right down this little rabbit trail and it's a beautiful thing that you said when you were like I started walking with them and then I realized oh it's a whole lot worse than I thought it was dude dude let me tell you if you knew everything I ever did if you knew everything I ever thought if you knew everything I ever struggled with you probably would not want me on this podcast that's just the reality of it and guess what everyone is that way yeah everyone yeah. Not just the people who yeah. are struggling on the surface where it's easy right. to tell something's not right. Come on. Everyone is struggling and no one has a safe place or permission to admit it. Mm. So the goal, the ultimate goal with the uncovery is to just destigmatize some of this stuff, yeah. especially related to mental health. Because in the church, these are just, there are a lot of cultures that say like, if you have Jesus, like, you know, fear and faith can't coexist. And as much as I want to partner with that and believe yeah. that, guess what? They sure do. They sure do coexist. And even if it's my issue, my not knowing how to align my heart with God's, it is our responsibility to not shame people out of ways of thinking and bully them to the altar. 
Come on. We have to stop yeah. that. Yeah. Instead, what would it look like if we could create safe spaces within the church where we just sat with one another? We just listened. We didn't try to fix. We didn't try to figure out what's the program of the day to get everybody to you know, achieve sainthood for crying out loud. If you have Jesus, you are already a saint. You are no longer a sinner. It's done. Finished work of the cross. We're done. You're a saint. It's going to take you probably the rest of your life and even until you get to glory and see Jesus face to face for you to believe it, but it's true. Mm. So what if instead of trying to convince people of their sin or shame people in addiction and say, it's your sin that led you here, even if there's some truth to that, guess what? If you are in Christ, you are now a new creation. It's going to take some time to understand that. It's going to take some time to embrace it and believe it. Even if you know it cognitively, you're not going to know how to walk it out without somebody to show you how. Yes. So when we're talking about walking with people for the long term, yes, there are issues. Like we have to be personally safe. We have to set up boundaries to where as much as possible, we're not going to be taken advantage of. But let me tell you, walking with people who are hurting, guess what? Hurt people hurt people. They do. And if you really step into this space and you want to love and lead people in your church context or your community context who are struggling with things like addiction and their mental health, you're going to get hurt. Mm. Grow up. Grow up. (laughs) Like, welcome to the real world. I'm sorry. It's the broken world. Like, scripture is really clear on that. But if hurt people hurt people, healed people heal people and free people free people. It is our responsibility. Mm. Those of us who have tasted even a drop of God's goodness, a drop of the freedom and the promised land life that he has for us, it is our responsibility to pay that forward to someone who might just be two steps behind us. They're just trying to get to where we are. They're just trying to understand. The thing that keeps me so humble in all this, dude, is I realize I am two bad decisions away from total destruction of my life at any time. Two bad decisions away. I know I'm no better than anybody else. I've just literally had the scales fall off of my eyes. And I, by God's grace, have overcome my struggles with depression, my struggles with anxiety. I attempted suicide at 15. I dealt with an eating disorder for 17 years. I have struggled with compulsive behaviors of all kinds. I've been delivered. I'm still figuring out what it looks like to walk out this new life God has given me. I don't do it perfectly but I do get to live it. And it's a life that I want to stay present and sober for. And now that I've tasted it, I want everybody to have it. Mm. So sometimes I say you can't give away what you have yet to receive. And for anybody listening, anybody watching, like whatever this looks like for you right now, if you have not really received God's grace, I'm talking about that real, raw, reckless, authentic grace that he has to give. You trying to give it to anybody else is going to be striving every time. Mm. It's going to be striving every time. So if you don't know how to have compassion for people who are struggling, if this is all like foreign to you, if something like when I say recovery is for everyone, if that tweaks you, you're likely needing a fresh dose of God's grace on your own life. (laughs) Ask him to reveal those places deep inside of you that are hurting. Go to him for real and true healing. He has it for you today. But until you're willing to receive it, you're going to have a really hard time giving it to other people outside of a very legalistic context. Wow. Man, that is so good. Oh, that is so good. Thank you for the way that you've uh, kind of framed things up, talking a little bit about, um, 
your your own your own life and and some struggles and the you did the same thing with with George um, and uh, the context that he's in as far as the men that he that he lives in in such community with and all of that because knowing that like having that understanding as I was reading the book and hearing the things that that were discussed it made it so much more powerful to me like knowing the context that it was coming from. Um, so thank you for doing that. Um, there, there's a there's a really there's a really real thing about where you can become so accustomed to, you know, pain, trauma, failure, regret that no matter how many times it seems like that you hear that, you know, God loves you and he's got a plan for you and all this kind of stuff like your that your grip on those negative feelings and the 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 way that you see yourself in such a negative context, like you've been so conditioned to you've been so conditioned that you're an addict or you've been so conditioned that you're a failure. You've been so conditioned by your experiences, by your mistakes, by what others have told you and all kinds of things. Um, unfortunately, I think I think all that stuff even gets way more amplified to a different kind of a gross level because it happens on a spiritual level when it comes from the church, like when it comes from people that have been hurt by the community that should have been rallying around them to stand with them and to, you know, lift them up and honor them in the midst of their brokenness rather than to, you know, maybe put some of the condemnation and the stuff on them because they didn't know how to deal with it or because they were coming from a legalistic space or whatever. And so I think it gets amplified even in those contexts, especially from, you know, spiritual leaders or even spiritual peers, but people that you think that you should be able to trust. And then they kind of break your trust in the way that they treat you. And so, you know, there are just people that, you know, and I talk to people all the time that are just they're so conditioned to seeing themselves in such a negative context that as much as I you know want to encourage and as much as I want to you know, like challenge some of those wrong, negative thought patterns and belief systems. It just seems like there's so much wall there that just needs to come down that, you know, it's just it's just hard. Like what what would you say are some things that either from the standpoint of, you know, if that's me, like if that's me and I'm and I'm, you know, kind of dealing with such a negative, you know, self-image because of all the mistakes that I've made or whatever. What are some things that would maybe be helpful to me to kind of start shifting my mindset or my focus or to start seeing myself in the context, you know, in a different context and kind of being able to see myself the way that God sees me, which I know that's a process and that's a process that I'm still on, you know, yes. it's like learning to yes. see myself better. And, and I still, you know, have so much negative thinking and all that kind of stuff as well. So that's a journey, but, uh, or even from the other side of things of like, you know, us maybe wanting to help somebody walk through that process of maybe surrendering some of that, you know, negative, destructive thinking, because because there's times where I'm, you know, I'm talking to somebody and they're telling me about their problems and I'm and I'm and I'm just wanting to, like, you know, encourage and speak life and speak truth. And it'll even be sometimes where they're I feel like they're receiving it and and you can tell that it's having an impact. But then five minutes later, it's like right back into the like, yeah, well, I can't really I don't really deserve that because of this. And it's yeah. just so hard, you know, when you've been so conditioned um, without a supernatural, you know, move of the Holy Spirit. Right. Because <laughs> he can do yes. it in a moment. But to yes. like kind of break through some of those things. So I don't know. Just do you have any thoughts on, you know, how you can 
either, you know, help yourself or walk with people through, you know, some of that just uh, negativity and starting to see um, really the truth of what God has has for you and has accomplished for you. Yeah. Well, our identity in Christ is solid. It is what it is. It's truth. There's nothing we could do, say, or even think to make it any different than what it really is. Our lens through how we see our identity, though, that's learned behavior. Right. It's learned behavior that comes right. by way, likely of trauma, oftentimes in early life, in the early nurturing stages. Like these are the places where our core longings are being formed that, that, that need to be loved, that need to be significant, that need to be accepted, these, these basic things. When there are breaches in this, it's trauma. And I know that that sounds like if people throw around the word trauma, they're like, oh, that's not really trauma. Guess what? Trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside of you because of what happens to you. That's why it puts us in a place where nobody has the right to look at someone else's trauma and say, yeah, that's not really trauma. Mine was worse. Or this person over here is struggling so much more than me. So my trauma can't yes. be real. It's just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And that doesn't yeah. make you good or bad or strong or weak. Mm-hmm. We are all unique individuals. Our brains have the ability to shift and change. And if there is trauma that impacts our mind in a way that our neuropathway shifts and changes in a different way than somebody else's does, guess what? That is now our trauma that we are carrying. The beautiful thing about the brain, the beautiful thing about all of this is the brain, God gave it the ability to heal itself. When we step away from destructive behaviors, when we step away from addictive substances, when we even have real live community and people surrounding us on a day-to-day, it's no secret out there. I think it's the Jim Collins thing, like you, you are a product of the five people that you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. If you're spending your time with addicts, you're going to be like addicts. If you're spending your time with people who are chasing after God, who are trying to wrap their minds around being a beloved son or daughter, like if you, if you're, even if they don't have it all figured out, even if you're fellow travelers on a journey, the people you spend your time with really matter. And so as you are trying to speak life into people or even speak life into yourself, are the words we speak have so much power. The words you speak have so much power. And so when we're listening to a story or when we're listening to, you know, some sort of a debrief or download from someone who's saying, this is how I'm struggling. This is what it is. Resist the urge in the moment to jump in and fix it with your experience, with your earthly knowledge, with this thing you learned at AA last week. Resist the urge to say anything. Mm. Listen more than you talk. And when you listen... Listen to understand. Don't listen to respond. And here's the key. This is a big thing. We talk about this a little bit in the book too, for when you actually have an opportunity to sit with and, and counsel someone who's struggling or someone who's walking through relapse. Keep one ear on them. Listen to everything they are saying in order to understand. Keep your other ear on the Holy Spirit. What is he saying in the moment? What could he reveal to you that's even beneath their words? What's in between their words? that you might not be hearing. It's in these moments that we might have the Holy Spirit say, don't you dare give them this platitude. Don't you dare give them this scripture reference. Don't you dare make this about you. Listen, Mm. listen. Wow. And when you listen, 
your heart can truly be transformed. You can listen to them. You can see the gold, the potential that exists within that individual. And you will really want to walk with them in their journey for as long as it takes. Not because it makes you look good or because, oh, I saved someone because I had just the right words. It's such, it's such ridiculous nonsense. Let your heart be broken for them so that you can lift them up. So that any bit of truth about your own identity that you might have tasted, if you even ever thought that you were a beloved son or daughter of God, ever revealed that to you, don't beat people over the head with it. Invite them into a lifestyle where they can experience it on their own, where they don't have to feel shame. Jesus took care of it all. Jesus took care of our sin, past, present, and future. That messes with me sometimes when I think about that. It messes with me. I grew up in a very, very legalistic environment where I literally thought if I was driving my car and there was a Mack truck coming right at me and I said a four-letter word before that truck hit me and I died, that I would go straight to hell. I really believed that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but me too. unpacking some of these incorrect legalistic learned behaviors, this is where the opportunity comes in. Whether it's us or whether it's somebody else, sometimes you have to unlearn something before you can relearn the truth. Mm. And when you have believed something, probably since you were a baby in your crib, some, some breach in core longing, some lack of nurturing, some abuse that you might not even cognitively remember, it is going to be really difficult to say this thing that I've always believed, I now don't believe it. Right. It's going to be really hard and it's going to take more than prayers and platitudes, it will take a move of the Holy Spirit, but God works on his own timeline. We don't get to just like lay hands on somebody and if they don't get delivered, say, oh, it must be some sin issue. That must be your problem. Right. We're not going to do that right. anymore. We're not going to do that anymore. So the one of the stories that we have in the book that we love to walk through and keep tying back to is the journey of the Israelites. Uh, they're yeah. delivered from Egyptian captivity after like 400 years of slavery. It's this unbelievable moment. They see these and wonders there are plagues the sea parts it's just this unreal god shows up for his people moment it took him two months two months in the wilderness to start screaming at moses and aaron and saying we were better off back there at least we got three square meals at least they care but maybe we should go back and ultimately when you're inviting people on this journey these people were born into captivity they weren't once free and then taken slave. They were born into right. it. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of unlearning for a lifelong slave to know that they're not only free, they've right. been set free, but they're family. Right. They're and children need, of God. And, and we need to have that, you know, that compassion and empathy, recognizing that like, we're we're all as you said like we're all in the journey like we're all on that journey of recovery we're we might be at different stages or whatever so like i'm i'm on that journey too because there's plenty of times where i live my life from a mindset of lack because i don't think that god is going to come through for me on something that he promised and so it causes me you know that's a that's a that's an orphan mindset that's an orphan mentality it's not the mindset of a son or daughter and so like I get there too. And so for, for me as a, as a follower of Christ to like hold it against somebody else because they're, they're just starting their journey 
or they're mm. not as far along as, as, as I think I am in my journey or whatever for me to like hold this, hold something against them. And to think that like, no, hold on. Like we are all like, we are all on the same journey. Like we're, we're all um, growing in this thing called, called grace and growing yes. into the understanding of who we are in Christ. Um, yes. And you, on that, on the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and getting free from bondage and all of that, and kind of just dealing with this ongoing struggle of over and over again, going back to idolatry and over and over again, going back to something that they felt like they could control, you know, mm -hmm. going back to this thing of, I, I feel like that's what the issue is with idolatry and we might look at that and be like oh well what like like it never used to make sense to me when i was growing up because i'd hear these stories i'd be like like i don't understand like i couldn't relate to the temptation of building an idol and bowing before like literally doing yeah. that and bowing before it but i think the issue the heart issue is that this is something like we don't see god in terms of like the way that the other nations around us are accustomed to seeing God, they're used to seeing God in terms of something that they've erected and created. And so they had a God essentially in their image, something that they could control and create and really manipulate to an extent, to a mm -hmm. certain extent, but it gave them this sense of feeling like they had control. And I think that idea of control uh, of feeling like when you're when you're stuck somewhere, when you're feeling like you're under pressure, just that temptation to do something where you feel like I know what this is. Like, I know <laughs> I know how this makes me feel. It, I, I know it might not lead to life, but I know how it's going to make me feel right now. And it kind of gives me that temporary feeling of relief where I feel like I could be I could have control over something that I don't understand. And so when we get in those places where we're we're operating on from a mentality of lack or we're operating on something where we're just maybe confused or we're we're just stuck in one way or another dealing with some kind of a struggle i feel like that temptation to go back to control you know even 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 we see that with um the disciples like after jesus died and rose from the dead and then they're kind of in this limbo state well, like what do we do now well let's go fishing <laughs> It's like just kind of going back to the 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 thing that made you feel safe and comfortable. And I just think that at the root of all of it, at the heart of all of it is this this longing to have some kind of a, a, a control. But there's but that's not freedom. And so freedom comes from me surrendering that that part of me that says, like, like, I need to do something to control this. And freedom mm -hmm. comes from a, opening myself up to allowing God to bring that change and transformation in my life. And that happens through trust. But all that to yeah. say that all of it is a is a process. We're all at different points in that process. But whether we want to admit it or not, we all struggle with it. And so I, I think that that empathy and compassion piece um, is so important when we're walking with people to understand, you know, I don't think it's always super helpful to be like, oh, yeah, I know where you're coming from, because like that can be condescending. But like, yeah, but but at least the heart that wants to reach out and to say, like, I might not understand what you're going through at all right now. But yeah. um, but that willingness to not allow you talked about pride before and and that desire to kind of do things a certain way or say things a certain way because we think it's going to make us feel good. And I think what you're saying there is just so, so helpful about, you know, don't make it about you make it about them. Um, 
because this isn't about your ego. This isn't about anything like that. It's, it's about, it's about walking with them. And that is a, so in other words, it's what I hear you saying is it's not, um, it's not like a conversation that I'm having with somebody where I'm going to say some cool words and build somebody up and feel good that I did that. It's a journey of walking in community with somebody um, to seeing them come through that, that, that process of recovery. Cause one, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in the book on the, with the, the Israelites, it was like the, the process of moving from a lifelong slave to not just being free. I think you said it like this, not just being free, but being family, like yeah. to recognizing that they're family and that they belong. That's something that just doesn't instantly compute. And so that willingness to walk through that process with, with somebody um, to, mm -hmm. to get to that point of, of recognizing where they are. And that might be a, a long journey and not always mm -hmm. uh, pretty. Yeah. Well, and for some people in the early stages of recovery, especially, they will have a natural propensity to distrust. They won't trust mm -hmm. you, even if they're kind of thankful that you're there and you kind of seem like someone they could talk to trust even if we personally did nothing to breach it, it's something that has to be earned. It can't be demanded, not in this context. So for us, that means having a willingness to get low with people and not be offended when they lash out because they mistrust us for all the wrong reasons, but actually listen and try to discern what is it that they need in order to see me as a safe space. Mm, and then wow. conversely, what is it that they don't need? What's not helpful right now? And sometimes I have been blessed enough in my life to walk with enough people through a recovery journey to have them reach out and be like, you know what? That thing you said the other day, I've been thinking about that. And that really sucked. Like that got under my skin and this is why. And I said it with the best of intentions, but I said it to make myself look good. I said it because I wanted to be the one with all the answers. And at some level, I wanted wow. to control wow. their recovery outcome. And I do want to see people set free. I do want to see people delivered. But if we're not willing to sit with people in their mess, help them dig deeper and understand how they even ended up there. Like, what does that look like? I, I think one of the most, this actually isn't in the book, but it's just a, a beautiful um piece of scripture that explains this so beautifully like back in the garden of eden when our adam and eve's identities were so solid in the lord sin had not yet entered the world they had this beautiful paradise that they were living in they had all of their kingdom inheritance right in front of them in this perfect scenario and yet they still struggled with control they said mm. what's the one thing god said hey please don't do that don't do that not not yep. because i'm being a jerk but because it will kill you it's not good that's yeah. the very thing that they did, the very thing that they did. And you can call that a sin nature if you want to. I really just think God is a gentleman and he doesn't force us to do anything. <laughs> that messes with my sovereignty mindset as well. Mm -hmm. So just let, let's go with that. But yeah. here's, here's the beautiful part. After Eve ate of the fruit and Adam ate of the fruit, they began clothing themselves. They, they put their leaves together, sewed their leaves together and made little... I, I always imagine them in these like leaf bikinis. It's so stupid, but it, in my head, that's what's going on. They're trying to cover their nakedness. And then they hide. Mm. God comes strolling through the garden in the cool of the day, a time where he's probably really excited to come and just be with his kids. This is when he comes and he comes and he looks at them and he's like, what's going on? What happened? 
and they you know they go back and forth blaming one another and they but god realizes they know they ate the fruit they know they're naked it's over like this whole thing is yeah. this whole thing is over and this is really the beginning of what's going to be the rest of human life on earth but in some ways pastors will try to teach this part like and god cast them out and punish them and, and honestly honestly if you get into the text what god really says and i imagine him saying this not because it surprised him not because he didn't know the answer but he says adam where are you right now mm-hmm. where are you right now like don't yeah. you know who you are don't you know where you are like don't you know who i am where are yeah. you and then he's adam's like i hid i was naked i can imagine the lord tearing up and saying not who told you you were naked who told you that who would try to tell you such an audacious lie who told <laughs> you that like imagining the father's heart and his compassion and yeah. even giving them giving them yeah. coverings for their body escorting them out of the garden for their safety because now yeah. they have all of the knowledge of heaven and like it's too much he knows it will destroy them yeah it was such an act of mercy even in how he responded this is how the father wants us to be with people when they really can't wrap their head around their identity adam and eve had everything everything and they still ate the fruit still ate it no logical reason they just wanted control <laughs> and god still had compassion for them he still had grace for them and had hope and a future for them yes how he he could have just destroyed them and started over but he didn't and he yeah. used them so the beauty in all of this is that even when we see a setback in our own recovery and even when we see a setback in the recovery of someone we're trying to love and lead through it if we see these as opportunities not failure is not fatal in the recovery world unless you overdose and die from it like that's that's our only fatality that could happen and this is part honestly all lives and souls are at stake i i'm sure. not minimizing this whatsoever but if we're talking about a lifelong recovery journey you can expect relapse you can expect mistakes to be made you can expect brand new struggles to rise up to the surface as soon as you think you kick one addiction another one will pop up or you might think you've completely let go of alcohol and then you realize for the first time wow the only reason i went to alcohol in the first place was because i struggle with control and then unpacking what's at the root of that it is a lifelong journey yeah. and anyone yeah. who calls themselves christian anyone who is in christ anyone who carries the holy spirit within them has to understand if you are a sinner saved by grace you are in recovery you are in recovery from something you are in recovery from an old broken life that you shouldn't want to recover go after that brand new one go after the promised land life that god has for you even if you don't know how to today he'll show you how to walk it out one step at a time ideally in community that's walking out their recovery too but just remember the heart of the father toward you it is no longer condemnation it is no longer anger yes. it has been completely satisfied in the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ it's yeah. done it's finished and now that we have the holy spirit reconnecting us with the father we're one with him we're one 
Not like, oh, God's near yeah. me or God's with me. No, you're one with God. It, it will yeah. mess with you. And if you actually even try to believe it, if you believe 2% of that to be true and try to walk it out, you will see your life transformed. Yeah. Mm, That was so beautiful. That description of God coming to to Adam in in the garden and where are you? And that's kind of how I think about it too. Like with Jesus in the gospels, when he makes, when he, he asks questions like, like, why did you doubt? Or, you know, how is it that you have no faith? And, and I think traditionally we look at that as like he's saying something harsh, um, you know, like, like, oh, you have little faith. Why did you like he's got this kind of saltiness to him? And, and, and I just don't think it's the, I mean, I wasn't there, but I don't think yeah. it's that at all. Um, yeah. It's like it's like, why, why, why did you doubt? Like, like, how is it that how is it that you have no faith? You know, how how is it that you've been walking with me? through this process and you've been seeing the goodness of, of the father and what he can do and how much he loves people and how much love and compassion he's so willing to demonstrate, you know, you've seen it over and over again. So in this situation that you are in right now, how is it that you don't have faith? I think it's much more that kind of a thing where it's like wanting to get to the bottom, even though he knows, he knows where it's coming from, but it's like wanting to get to the bottom of, of their thinking so that he can help them to be transformed and he can call them up to another level. Yeah. And so I thought that was just a really, really beautiful picture. We're so often looking at God as, and here's, here's what I find, Britt. I find that a lot of Christians that I um, either talk to or just even just see on social media and whatever, mm-hmm. a lot of Christians, I feel like they're just so interested in holding on to that condemnational aspect of what they think the nature of God to be. And, and it's like you mentioned it before that, you know, the recklessness of God's grace. And I think that that's scary for some people. And, and I, I do, I think a lot of it is a control issue. I really do. But I think it's this thing of like, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to speculate why people say what they say, but, but it's like this, uh, you know, I, I, I just see it a lot. I see it a lot. And I, and I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of people that are so much quicker to respond to the harshness or the anger of God than they are to his grace for some reason. And, and they and they think that if we preach grace too much, if we talk too much about God's grace, then we're going to start giving people licenses to sin and licenses to stay where they are and and giving people permission to stay lost and broken and and all this kind of stuff. And 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 they think they think that great hold on, like if we understand what the grace of God is. First of all, the grace of God is everything. It's every. It's not like I need grace for this and not for this. It is. I wouldn't be anything. Uh, nothing. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God's grace. Yeah. But if we understand what the grace of God is and what the grace of God does and what the grace of God has accomplished for us and set us up for and positioned us into, like if we understood this, we would recognize that grace doesn't do any of that negative stuff that we're so afraid that grace is going to do to us. Grace empowers us to be free. It empowers us to embrace and to walk in that freedom. And and there's like this cheap grace that we, you know, that that gets kind of like tossed around or that 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 people think it, like there's just this fear, I think, of of falling into that. And so it causes uh, a lot of people to just kind of like step back from it and to want to be careful. And so to be, I don't know, like to just kind of put this condemnational stuff on themselves and on mm-hmm. others. And, um, 
yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, yeah. I just think that there's, um, we have not, well, obviously we, we have, none of us have fully understood how good his grace is and how good his kindness is. Somebody, uh, yeah, it's up there on the screen right now. Um, that, uh, this comment, he is relentlessly kind. It's a, mm, that's a beautiful he statement. He is relentlessly kind. Um, mm. and we just, yeah. yeah. Well, grace in and of itself is unmerited favor. We do not deserve it. We can't possibly earn it back. It, it, it's yeah. just something that's given as a gift. And when you understand how broken you once were and that all of that has been taken care of, past, present, yeah. and future, it will move your heart. It will mm. absolutely transform the way you think where you won't be looking at God and thinking, sweet, he's given me all kinds of passes right now. Like <laughs> the grace of God does not set you free to sin. It sets you free from it. Mm -hmm. You are no longer a slave to the law of sin and death. You're free. Yeah. Can you choose to sin? Sure you can. <laughs> Obviously, you can. <laughs> but it is possible to walk out a sinless life. If we really knew how much like Christ we were, if we really knew, if we really believed it, Come on. 100%. Come on. I believe you could walk out a sinless life. Am I walking out a sinless life? Absolutely not. Because even though I'm preaching it, I'm not sure that my heart has caught up with my head yet. Sure. I still am living in the throes of my humanity. There are days where the struggle is still very real. But God's grace, when you receive it in full, real grace. I'm not talking about like mercy. Mercy is different. Mercy mm -hmm. is something that I do see the church give quite often, often with a healthy dose of shame. When we're talking real grace, shit. yeah, when we're talking yeah. real grace, it's transformational. Yeah. And so this idea of looking at recovery differently, we're not trying to go back and recover that old broken life that led us to struggle in the first place. Why would we want that life back? Why? Let's go after the brand new one that Jesus died for us to have, this yes. abundant life of joy. And you know what? There's so much joy to be had. I am convinced I will not tap into all of it on this side of heaven. I'm, I'm convinced I will not in this realm tap into all of it. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way my mind could even fathom how good it is. <laughs> but even knowing I am only going to know in part and prophesy in part, I'm only going to know God to the extent that I think I can. It's limited. There's more. There's always more. There's more of his grace. He is so much better than we think he is. Yes. Every time we think of him and how good he is, he was already thinking of us. Already. He says his thoughts toward us are as numerous as the sands in the ocean. Are on the beach, I forget the exact. Oh, my AirPods fell out. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. Am I back? <laughs> I got you animated in my, my AirPods fell out. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Okay, sorry about that. I, I got animated and yeah, no, when I talk a lot, they fall out. Um, <laughs> the as his thoughts toward us are as numerous as the grains of sand in the ocean. So every time you think about him, every time you think about his goodness, even when you're thinking, 
oh god like i i haven't been very close to you lately or i don't know how to be close to you right now or i don't know what that feels like whatever our human emotion is whatever perceived distance or separation we think we have god was already thinking about us mm. already thinking about what we were going through waiting for us to just turn back and realize he's right there he's right there and the beauty of that of that level of grace we are human and we are broken. We are not going to be able to walk out that level of like, okay, I'm loving and I'm leading you through recovery. Every time you think we're going to have been thinking about you, that would be super codependent of us because we are like God, but we're not God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The beauty of this is just to understand his heart for us, no matter where we are in the journey to understand how good he is, how precious are his thoughts toward us. Since the garden, we have been misunderstanding his reactions, his response to our wayward ways. We've been misunderstanding it all. He's not showing up to punish and condemn. He's showing up like a good father to discipline us, love us, and bring us back home. It's good. It's so good. Yeah. You guys need to get this book, people. The Uncovery. (laughs) Um, we're, we're going to share links in the show notes and we're going to do all of that. And before we wrap up, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll have you Brit, um, point people to the websites and where they can go to find stuff. But, you got it. oh man, if you're not convinced yet, I don't know what's going to convince you. You got to get this, you got to get this book. It's, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I, I, I'm so, um, I am so excited, uh, for the, just the, the breakthrough that's going to happen through this. Um, through the, through this labor of love that you guys have put together. And um, it's so cool. Uh, I, I have one, one more question. Um, and it's kind of a two-part question. To, well, depending on how it comes out of my mouth, um, <laughs> it might be one or two parts. But um, one more question. I, I'm wondering, you know, because I feel like we've been talking about this a lot. Where do you think the line is, or if it even matters, um, between honesty about where you are in terms of, you know, mental health and recovery, you know, you've you've stated over and over again that everybody is on their own journey of recovery Mm -hmm. and all of that. So the line between honesty about where you are and what you're dealing with and what you're struggling with and standing in faith and walking in victory. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's this thing that we can do. And this is this is something I'm going to be honest with you that I kind of I, I personally struggle with and I'm and I'm often looking for, you know, better language. Uh, but there, there's this thing that we can do that's really unhelpful, where we pretend that we're not feeling what we're feeling. We pretend that we're not struggling with what we're struggling with because mm-hmm. we want to not even it's one thing when we do it because we want to look like we're OK. Um, but I'm not even necessarily talking about that. I'm talking more so along the lines of, uh, I'm not, I don't want to admit what I'm struggling with because I want to talk faith because I want to speak faith because I I don't want to, you know, make those like negative declarations over my life or, you know, whatever, kind of like the word of faith kind of stuff where, you know, you're wanting to speak truth. You're wanting to speak life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, where would you say is the line in all of that? Or what's something helpful um, that you could share with somebody like me who kind of struggles with that, where it's like, uh, you know, I want to be honest uh, with God, with myself and with people that I'm, you know, sharing with. I want to be honest about 
how I feel, what I'm struggling with, what I'm going through. Um, but at the same time, I want to talk and uh, yeah, I want, I want to talk from a place of faith because I think that our words matter. I think, you know, so we can, we can kind of be on a couple different extremes, right? Where we're constantly like speaking negative crap over ourselves. That's not helpful. And yeah. then the other extreme would be, oh, I never say any, like I, I never articulate anything because, <laughs> because I, uh, I want to be in faith and I don't, and I feel like if I'm saying this, then it's taking me out of faith or mm -hmm. something like that. And so I'm uh, just curious about like what your thoughts are, um, with that, like walking through those kinds of things, being honest about where you are. Uh, but at the same time, standing in a place of faith and agreement with God in, in the midst of where you are. Wow. So the interesting thing about your question is I can tell the strain on your own mental health it even took to ask it. <laughs> it's, le so there, it's like legalism. Yeah, well, and, and so the thing that's difficult with all of this is people are always like, okay, you've given this pivotal truth this new thing, okay, we need to be vulnerable, we need to be authentic, but what's the line? How authentic do you be? How vulnerable do you be? And with what people and in what context? There is no one formula for it, okay? Knowing we need to be in the context of authentic and vulnerable community in order to share. Sharing isn't just saying like, I'm gonna show up and moan and complain about my day or my circumstances or anything like that we're talking about saying you know what i had a hard day today and here's mm -hmm. what that really looks like and having people who can receive it from you and not try to talk you out of your pain not try to give you a, a million quick fix solutions for all of your problems people who will just sit with you here's if you want the line here's where it is ask God what you need to share and with whom. Mm -hmm. And as influencers, you know, Duke, you and I will go online. I am an absolute open book. I will talk about anything about my past. I have talked about stuff that makes my mother blush in some of these interviews. But I tell you what, I was not always that way. I was very much a person who was compartmentalized. I was a different person with different people groups. I, I would always joke with my husband, like that old Jim, Jim Gaffigan skit, like I could never get like my work people and my church people together because I'd have to be like, mm -hmm. okay, these people over here, they don't know I drink. Like we got to like make right, sure this is right, okay. Right. <laughs> so in the midst of all of that, when I came to a point of personal crisis and my own recovery journey, I nearly lost everything. I nearly lost my husband, my daughter, my career, my life, I had no choice but to step out in some circles and be exactly who I was. That started, as it does for many of us in recovery, in an anonymous group. That started anonymously, and I didn't want the world to know about my shame. I was so ashamed of where I was and what I had done, yeah. and I didn't want anyone to know. I hid, a, I hid an eating disorder from my husband for like 16 years before it came out. And it's just like, that I could do wow. that, that I, that I could struggle with bulimia and even my husband didn't know. This wow. is how much we hide. This is how much it can get low like that. But when you finally get to a point where keeping the truth about how you are inside is more painful than articulating it to even one other person. 
look, you all listening to this right now, if this is moving you and you're like, maybe I need to say something, don't go live on Instagram after this is over and like air all of your dirty laundry. Please don't do that. Please Mm. don't do that. Like baby steps. I can even remember early in my recovery journey when I was starting to get little snippets of victory, I was like, I should write a book. I should tell everybody all about this. Mm -hmm. And I I think I've got it figured out. How many more times did I trip over myself and stumble and fall? Because I didn't understand it yet. I didn't know what I had. But as we're walking out this delicate balance of saying, especially as leaders, Duke, for for you, I imagine this can get really complicated because people come to you at a base level because they want you to have the answers. They kind of do. That's not what they need from you, but they don't know that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And if you or I in a leadership capacity were like, I'm really struggling today, like, I'm struggling with the way that I look or I'm struggling with, you know, control or I'm struggling with this myriad of things. People might be like, oh, well, I was kind of hoping that you had victory over that. So you could, but again, this, this is because there's so much shame and stigma around these struggles. It's systemic. Hmm. Now the the interesting power dynamic that exists for people like you and I, who are trying to love and lead in a corporate context, as well as one-on-one I, I said this in the, I said this the first time we talked and I don't, I'm not sure if I've said this on a podcast out loud ever before, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. And the people who are listening, if this tweaks you, it's probably for you. There is a lot of money to be made in the church around shame. There is a lot of power to be had in the church around shame. So imagine, imagine a world where we showed up even as leaders, free of shame, knowing even if we were struggling today, we are still a son or daughter of God. We are blood-bought and battle-bought. It's beautiful. Even if we're not feeling it today, it's still true. Imagine if shame and stigma, systemic shame and stigma, what if that were eradicated? in our lifetime so that the next generation, so that your little girl and my little girl could grow up in a world where no one would see them as the other ever because we realized recovery is for everyone. It's really about trying to solve a momentary dissonance that we feel as leaders, not knowing what's that line, how much do I share? What does vulnerability really look like? What's oversharing? That's between you and Holy Spirit. The Lord has called me to share some things that I wouldn't even recommend that other people share. It's just how it works. But when you are willing to step up and share as you feel led, especially in the context of safe community, naming the struggle is the first step toward healing. It's like a diagnosis. If you don't really know what's going on, say, these are my symptoms. This is what I'm feeling. And then get to the root and say, why am I really feeling that way? Where am I right now? Who told me this thing that's swirling in my head that I know is not true? Like with the gentle voice of the father, like call yourself into question. Call your own thoughts, call your own motives into question. And then finally, this this is an important thing. This is pretty tactical. And I think people will like this. I think this will be helpful. We are really, really quick to teach people about taking thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. We typically downplay that second part. It's all about take thoughts captive, take thoughts captive. It's on a t-shirt. I have a tattooed on my arm. I take all my thoughts captive. 
and then I put it that thought in a nice little cage and I, I name it and I feed it every day and I teach it to talk to me. I forget that I'm supposed to take that thought that is not of God and make it obedient to Christ. Give it over to him. Let him deal with it. Don't entertain it. Don't let it sit in your mind. If a thought, if you have a piece of negative self-talk that you know is not true, something that goes against the core identity you know you are as a beloved son or daughter, if something like that goes into your head, take it captive and deliver it to the feet of Jesus. Make yes. it obedient to him. Because if you don't make it obedient, yes. you're, just, you're just capturing a lot of thoughts and making them your pets. What a, what a disaster of a brain if you had all those thoughts like mm. stored up in cages. We yeah. have to deliver them so that when we speak things over ourselves, I might say to you, you know what, Duke? I've had a rough go the last couple of weeks. I've really been struggling with this, that, or the other. And, but you know what? God is still God, and he's still good, yeah. and he still loves me. And even though I don't see it yet, I do know that he's working behind the scenes. Yes. Even in my pain, he sits yeah. with me and he loves me. I am secure. I am safe in him. Yeah. Even when I don't feel it. These are the kinds of things we can speak over ourselves. So while I wouldn't, like, if I were a pastor and I were struggling with pornography or something, I wouldn't show up at the pulpit on Sunday and be like, y'all, oh, I, I looked <laughs> I at porn last night. <laughs> like, this is really rough. And sorry, honey, I just wanted to let you know. Like, that's not how you handle this. Right. Some things do need to be behind closed doors. But what you really want to do is when you're struggling with something, legitimately struggling, finding a safe circle, a safe community of people to surround you so that you can be fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. This is how to go deeper. This is how to uncover the root causes behind our surface level struggles to heal from that trauma that's causing them. But we can only do that, we can only do that if we practice vulnerability. When you see someone and they ask you, Duke, how are you, how are you, man? How's it going? Resist the urge to just immediately answer with, oh, I'm so I'm good. Fine. I'm just so great. My grandfather had the best response I ever, uh, best and worst response I've ever heard with this. You would ask him, oh, you know, you know, Arthur, how are you doing? And he'd be like, I'm better than I deserve. And it's like, that was his response. It doesn't matter how he's actually doing. It doesn't yeah. matter what context it is. That yeah. was his rote response. And everybody thought that was cute. They even mentioned it at, at his memorial service when he passed when I was uh, a teenager. But, but in the context of all of this, we are so conditioned to make people think that we are as okay as we look on the surface. We want to perpetuate the lie yeah. that it's what we look like, it's what our behavior looks like, and that will somehow make us who we really are. <laughs> Instead, imagine yeah. if I ask you, yeah. hey Duke, how are you doing today? And you're like, you know, I'm, I'm okay, but I'm really tired today. Here's something that happened and I just had trouble sleeping, but you know what, thanks for asking. And what I might say to you in response is, thanks for not just giving me a real response. Thanks for being honest. Yeah. This is how you build a culture where we don't have to be ashamed of the things we're struggling with and wrestling with. Try a little thing like that, like considering your response before you say, I'm fine to how are you? That's good. That will, 
the positive feedback you get from that and the freedom you give others to say, wow, you know, I'm sorry about that. Actually, I was having kind of a rough day too. Now I don't feel so alone. It's an opportunity to grow deeper together in community. And that authenticity, being really real about how we're really doing, that creates trust. And that creates an environment where people feel like they have permission to be vulnerable and they won't be judged and they won't be shamed or nobody will try to convince them out of it. They can just be. That's so good. Yeah. I think when you are willing to be vulnerable, you, you, the outflow of that is that you give other people permission to be vulnerable with you. And that's so good. And, uh, and as you were talking, I was just thinking about how, you know, you can, you can stand in a place where you're, you're open and you're honest and you're vulnerable and you can, you can, you can mention about how you feel or, you know, something that you're struggling with or dealing with. And it doesn't, it it can come from a place of absolute security in God, you know, Um, like I'm struggling with something, but, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, maybe you don't say this part out loud because it's kind Mm -hmm. of more so just for you, but it's like, I'm Mm -hmm. struggling with this. But like in the back of your mind, maybe there's an echo that says, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't change who I am, you know, or it doesn't change the way that God feels about me, the way that God thinks yes. about me. I think that that's so huge, Britt. And, um, and uh, I'd so appreciate your time uh, yeah. with this. We'll, we'll start wrapping up. I, 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 ju- I just think it's so, um, it's so huge. The, the concept that, that we have of the way that God thinks about us, the way that God feels about us, um, as we're walking through daily life, I think that that's the the thing, or one of the things for sure, that has mm-hmm. like the greatest impact on on the way that we think, the way that we see ourselves, the decisions that we make, all, all kinds of stuff. Because you know, if I'm walking through life, um, this is a, a phrase that God gave me that I'm kind of like writing about and. It's like if I if I can learn to walk through life recognizing that I'm living in the light of God's face, where he's not looking at me in disgust, he's not looking at me frustrated or upset or annoyed, even if I just messed up, even if I'm messing up right now, <laughs> he's his face is toward me, his goodness, his love. You know, we look at that blessing uh, that that the Lord instructed uh, Aaron to to declare over the people in numbers is it numbers chapter six i guess it is mm-hmm. um of of uh the the lord um lift up the light of his face upon you be merciful to you you know we see so many things in that passage we see god's grace we see god's favor we see god's grace um we did i say grace twice we see his goodness we see his mercy we see we see his peace um we we see all these things that and and it's like this is th- this is what I want you to regularly declare over the people. I want this to be regularly before my people that they would remember how loved and how secure they are in me and that they have my favor and that my goodness is toward them. And, you know, I think about it right now because I have a I have a little girl. I have a she's almost four months old, my little Sophia. And you know, I think about it a lot right now because she's really learning how to like laugh and smile. And it's so cool to watch her responding to the facial cues of, of mom and dad and others and how like you can smile at her and she'll smile back. And, and it's that whole thing of like, you know, it's like you, you, get, you get freedom to be yourself and to grow. And even in the midst of the stuff that you don't understand and the struggles that you're going through, 
when you can live life from that place of knowing that you are just absolutely secure in the heart of God, that his face is towards you, that he's shining down on you, that he's not distant and he's not disappointed. Um, but yeah, his favor is just there for you. I think like that's where we really just get permission to be ourselves and to walk in in the fullness of that freedom that he's given to us, that he's done everything to accomplish for us, that now it's a matter of walking into. And none of us do that perfectly because, as you said, we're all still on that journey of walking that out. But when we can learn, and uh, it's not something that I've arrived at by any means, it's it's learning, you know, as a process to to recognize that. But I think it's something that we can become consciously aware of that, you know, in those moments and, and, you know, sometimes for me, like it's, it's work to do that. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't always come naturally to me to just be like, like, Oh, my car just broke down, but I'm in the light of God's face. Like, no, like sometimes <laughs> it's, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen that easily for me. But if, if I can remember to kind of flip that switch in my own mind of just learning to come back to that place of awareness and consciousness about the reality of where I'm positioned in God's heart, and his love for me, then like I can be doing something as like horrible as like doing my taxes or like, you know, what or I could be doing something great, like playing with my kids, but doing it from this place where, uh, you know what? I'm just aware of that. I'm standing in the light of God's face because he never takes that away from me. Um, so good. And so. Yeah, so good. I love it. Yeah. I love it. That ironic blessing is something that I think if we actually believe the words that were being spoken over us would change yeah. everything. If we everything. actually knew everything. what was being declared over us. It, it certainly doesn't remove mm. the necessary element of feeling your feelings. It's okay yeah. to feel a feeling. It's okay to acknowledge yeah. something that's hard. It's okay to be like, my car broke down and that sucks. It just sucks. I'm a child of God, but this sucks. There's no way around it. <laughs> yeah. And you don't Absolutely. have to even like say, oh, maybe my car broke down because I would have gotten in an accident. You don't even have to do that. Just sit in the moment and God will come and sit with you in that yeah. moment. Suck, and he'll remind yeah. you just how loved you are, how yeah. he's got this and he's got you. It's so good. It's so good. Whew. You got to learn to pause, to pause in those moments where instead of freaking out, instead of, you know, lashing out and just learning to do that, to pause and to remember who he is and that he's got us. It's so good. Uh, well, Britt, if you would uh, please uh, share uh, with the, the listeners where they can go um, to find the book and then to find you and uh, whether that's to connect with you further or to you know find some other resources and content that you put out and stuff like that. Awesome. So uh, my new book that I co-authored with George A. Wood, The Uncovery, which is Understanding the Power of Community to Heal Trauma. It is available. The easiest place to find it is Amazon. <laughs> it is also available online for purchase at shocktheword.com. If you'd like to know more about the message, more about the movement, feel free to go to uh, theuncoverybook.com. That's theuncoverybook.com. Or you can find me directly at britteaton.com. It's B-R-I-T-1-T. -T eaton.com and yeah that's how you can connect with me find me on socials at brit eaton pretty much everywhere <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome brit i've uh man i've so enjoyed the conversation me too we've 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 got to do it again can we do it again oh yeah anytime 
All right. Game. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, thanks to everybody for uh, the comments and for chiming in and sharing. And I just really appreciate you guys so much for that. And uh, yeah, please, please, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you because I, I think it's going to um, just completely revolutionize the way that you think about so many things. Um, please uh, get the book, read the book, get a copy for somebody else that you know that needs it. I'm, I've been thinking about um, people, Brit, that I'm just like, I, I got to get a copy for this person, and, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I uh, really appreciate you guys, you and George for uh, working together, collaborating on this. I know it was not an easy process, like through COVID and through the, the distance and doing a lot of stuff through video chat and like all that kind of stuff that went into the process of getting it done. But um, it was a labor of love. And I, I think it's just uh, going to bring so much, so much value and blessing in life to the world that we live in. And I'm just excited to see that happen. So thank yeah, you. thank you again. It was awesome to be with you. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. This is so cool. We just love you. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Bless you, Britt. Bye, Bless everybody. Bless you.